0: We've been in a series on the family. We've talked about the family in general. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about communication. We've talked about parenting. But there is a segment of our society that has not been married and has not had children yet, and they are just as viable in the kingdom of God as anything we've talked about yet. Some among us, many in this room this morning, are single, Several kids were asked about their perceptions on marriage and singleness. And one of the questions that was asked, is it better to be single or to be married? And nine-year-old Anita revealed her perception. She said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. (laughs) And then the question was asked, how do you know when you find the right person to marry? And 10-year-old Alan responded like this, He said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. (laughs) I think Alan is going to be single for a long time. (laughs) Singleness occurs in a variety of ways. Uh, Some are single by creation. Now, I think there are very few like that, but John the Baptist fits that category, and he was content in his ministry uh, for the Lord. The vast majority of single adults are those who are single by circumstance. They haven't found the right person to marry. They're divorced. They're widowed, or they have been abandoned by a spouse. Circumstances beyond their control have determined their state in life. Then there are those who are, who are single by choice. I believe the Apostle Paul was one of those who was single by choice. He noted that he had the right to take a wife, just like Peter and the rest of the disciples, but he chose to stay single for a variety of reasons, freedom in ministry the hardship of persecution that was going on in the life of the church at that time. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he deals with this issue of singleness. And I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 32. And this is is Paul writing about singleness. And he says, "'I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs.' How he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How she can please her husband. Now I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you. But that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, every stage of life that we go through has its advantages in our ever-growing relationship with God, and we're all single at some point in our life, maybe at various points in our life, and the questions persist. How does being single figure into the plan of God for my life? Does God want every single person to eventually marry somebody? Can singleness be positive in my service and relationship with God? Now, those are just a few of the questions that that are asked. Important questions, nonetheless. Questions we need to take a look at. So let's take a look at some of the issues at stake. There is the issue of literally being alone. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are nearly 100 million single people in the United States, 99.6 million to be exact. That's 44% of all U.S. residents age 18 and older are single. Of these singles, there are more than 56 million American adults who have always been single. And while much of our culture focuses on marriage, there is something to contemplate in these next statistics. As of 2007, for the first time, single women in America outnumbered married women in America, 51% to 49%. The growth in single-person households has been mounting for the last 40 years. Now, all singles are not alike. There are distinct differences by gender and by age and by circumstance. A 35-year-old widow will not look at life in the same way that a 35-year-old professional woman who's never been married looks at life. Older single men look for novel experiences, but older single women volunteer in their stage of life. One important indicator, however, points to a general need, and that is that most all singles desire for some sort of community and connectedness because they miss some of those family connections that others have. And so they look to pets, they look to fitness classes, they look to the internet, and a variety of things to find those connecting points in life. Now the church needs to wake up and take note of that. It's important for us to know that this should be a place, a community where singles are comfortable to connect. Now, most singles I know do not like to be identified as singles or to be herded into singles groups as if, oh, you're single, you fit in this group, and you got 18-year-olds to 85-year-olds in that group, and you think, I don't fit in this group. But that'd be like herding all married couples into one group. You know, and say, Oh, you're married, you belong in this one group. No, you don't. A 24 year old young married couple does not face the same kind of issues that a 65 year old retired married couple faces. Now, the older couple may be able to help mentor the younger couple and give them some wisdom and advice, but you don't find fellowship nearly as well in those circles. So, what's available to you here if you're single? Well, just about everything. I can think of very few things that you wouldn't be comfortable at. You you should be comfortable in any of our classes that meet on a Sunday morning with the possible exception, the young married couples class. Uh, You'd be welcome there, I'm quite sure, but you probably don't feel comfortable there because it's specifically designed for young couples who are just getting started in their life as marrieds. But then on the other hand, we have a 20-somethings class that meets at 9.30. It's made up of uh, graduate students and post-grad students and, and, and young professionals who are out, but they're not married yet. And if you could go right through this back wall here on the platform, you'd find the choir room, and that's where they meet at 9.30. I was in there afterwards, and they had a big group in there. day. If, that, if that's something that interests you, that's a singles group that meets, and, and they're enjoying that class and would welcome you there. We have another class called Women Reaching Women. It's, it's a women's class at 930, and it meets in G151. That's down the gymnasium uh, annex uh, of, of the building. And, and it's not specifically for single women, but a bulk of the women are, are single. Or maybe you find yourself single when you're at church. Your spouse doesn't come, and so you come by yourself. That may be a class that you would really enjoy attending. I can tell you this this morning, too. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, every day of the week, there's either a women's group or a men's group going on. It might be early morning, it might be in the afternoon, it might be in the evening. But you can find something during the days of the week that will make a big difference in your life if you just kind of hook up with some of these groups. Our single mother's ministry is growing on Wednesday evenings as it works to meet the challenges of being a single's mom. Constance video last week. Uh, we did a beautiful job of outlining how important that ministry really is. And then we have Sisters Over 60. It's a fellowship group that meets monthly for lunch during the good weather months. So we're coming into the bad weather months, and so I'm not sure they're going to be me meeting until next spring. But hey, if you're, if you're a widow uh, or you're a divorcee that's over 60 and you're looking for a group of late, it's a great opportunity Divorce care is, opened, uh, is offered on Monday evenings and grief care on Wednesday evenings. If you're single again, you've just gone through a divorce or you've just buried your spouse, here are other people who are going through the same thing that can become a source of encouragement for you. Let me tell you another area where I think singles really have uh, sort of an edge, uh, and, and that is in short-term mission work. Um, oftentimes, single people have a little bit more control and flexibility with their schedule because they don't have to... Um, consider somebody else as, as in a spouse, or if you're raising children, you don't have to consider the children's schedule. If you're single and you, and you don't have any of those ties, you can kind of choose when your vacations might be, and you can take some vacation time, do a short-term mission trip. Great opportunity for you to connect with other people. Now, you're not going to connect with people in the pew here this morning. Uh, I'm assuming early on, Tim had you stand up, shake hands, and greet somebody. And you probably did. You probably you know, said, hi, how are you? And I see you this morning, so forth and so on. You really don't know the person that's sitting in the pew with you. You're just taking up regional space together, all right? But if you go on a short-term mission trip, let me tell you, you'll connect with those people. You'll be eating together. You'll be working shoulder to shoulder. Uh, you may even be you know the, the handful that speak the, the same language that you do. And so there's a comfort in being able to converse with somebody voice to voice, and you'll come home from that, having made an impact in a part of the world that you'd never been to. But more than that, it will have made an impact on you, and you will have connected. Now, what I, I really understood what Paul meant in this passage when I went to India a few years ago, when Brad and I were there uh, in, in 07. We had to take a train from New Delhi down to Damo, where our, our mission ministry was gonna be taking place. And our families knew our itinerary and what was going to be going on and how we were traveling from day to day. It was like an eight-hour train ride. Well, unbeknownst to us at the time, there had been a major train wreck on the tracks just ahead of us that delayed our travel for several hours uh, because we couldn't pass through because of the wreckage zone. 30 to 40 people were killed on that train accident that was just ahead of us. Well, with such a a tragic uh, deal, that made world news. So my family back here in the States gets the news. They see it on TV, you know, that that the train had wrecked. They knew I was on the tracks. They knew where I was going. It was about the same time of day that this all happened. And 30, 40 p.m., so they're scared to death. And I knew that they would be worried. And so the minute I got to the place where we were going, the first thing I did was try to make contact with our families so that we would, they would know we're okay. It wasn't the train we were on. But that's a burden you carry when you have extended family, a wife and daughters or children or, you know, parents even. And so when you travel like that, if you're single, it just kind of frees you from that. I think that's what Paul was talking about. A person who is single doesn't have to consider some things in their service to the Lord. When that happened, I asked, I said, how often do you all have train wrecks like this where 30 to 40 people are killed? And they said, well, it happens about once a month. And I thought, okay, this is October's train wreck. I think we'll be okay from here on out through the, through the mission time that we're here. But it was, it was one of those wake-up calls. This is what Paul means when he says you don't have the, that weight or that burden on your heart. So I'm suggesting, take a mission trip it'll be good for you. And then Cynthia Parks, who directs our children's ministry and and department, often reminds me that there's, I think, a misunderstood perception among single people that if you're going to work in the children's department, if you're going to work in the nursery and the toddler's room down here, (laughs) uh, you really need to be a parent to do that. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We've got some wonderful single people who are serving in our children and our youth department that are making an incredible difference and you can too. And again, you may have the flexibility to do that, and it would be so wonderful to help. We always need workers in the nursery and the toddler's area. If you're going down this hallway toward the fellowship hall, nursery will be on your left-hand side, toddler room will be on your right-hand side. And on any given Sunday, we're going to have between 50 and 55 babies and toddlers in those rooms. Do you, do you realize how many people that takes to work in an area like that? If you've got babies, you almost need a one-on-one ratio. Let, let's say you've got 19 babies in there. At a, at a service. And, and you've got them all quieted down. And then a mother brings in the 20th baby who's squalling at the top of his lungs. Do you know what happens next? <laughs> it's like pulling a trigger. All 19 that were peacefully surviving are now all squalling. They don't know why. They just know some squalling kid came in there, and so they're going to squall too. Now you got 20. If you've got two people working in there, they can't handle it. We need your help. It's always a great place to serve. Marital status has no bearing or influence on participation in any area of worship. The worship ministry is a great place to step into and serve. Praise teams, worship bands, drama presentations, the choir, the list goes on. You've seen it up here every Sunday. So you can be great help in hospital and nursing home visitation, being a greeter, usher, communion. Uh, server, caregiver, you, you name it, the list goes on. And you don't even have to go to the mission field to put your life on the line and risk it for Jesus Christ. Just serve on the parking lot ministry and you'll see your, your life flash before your eyes on more than one occasion. Now, everything I've just mentioned is, is here, within these walls. I haven't even talked about all the opportunities for you outside these walls as an extension of this congregation to make a difference. Don't sit back and wait for an invitation. There are plenty of opportunities to serve and to connect if you'll just let us help you plug in here. You're a valuable part of this body. You mean as much as any other individual here. Now to those of us who are married, we we need this reminder and and, and it is be careful how you say things. Sometimes we say things with, with the best of intentions but they come out Thoughtless and careless. Now, p- parents can do that so easily. You be careful with that lawnmower. You cut your foot off, don't come running back to me for sympathy. <laughs> you know, you know, or a parent says, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. What? How, you know, that just doesn't make much sense. I read about a mother who caught her little boy eating raw sugar out of the sugar bowl and she snatched away the sugar bowl and she says, don't ever let me catch you doing that again. And he said, well I'll try mom, but I can't always hear you coming down the hall. (laughs) Sometimes parents and relatives, though well meaning, say the harshest things to those who are single. How how do you think a single person feels when you say something like this? Uh, How come you're not married yet? Or (laughs) the old biological clock is ticking, you'd better get hitched right away. Uh, Parents out of genuine concern often offer too much pressure. I worry about you living alone. Or, have you been on a date lately? Or, your father and I are really looking forward to being grandparents. Don't play matchmaker. When a friend becomes a widow or a widower, make sure he or she doesn't lose you as a friend in the process. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you do. Make them feel included, not an outsider. Being alone is not always easy. Do your best to help bridge the gaps. Well, what about feeling alone? I mean, you don't have to be alone to actually feel alone. Charles Schultz defined loneliness as being alone when you don't want to be. Because there's times when we all like a little bit of solitude. We all like a little bit of aloneness. But when you don't want to be alone and you are, that can be painful. And the truth is, lonely comes from all walks of life. It's not just the rejected or the overlooked who feel alone. Loneliness grips the popular and successful too. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Jesus understood loneliness. I think there were times when he felt all alone in this world, as far as this world is concerned. Loneliness comes from a lot of different ways. Uh, loneliness comes from hardship. Uh, the trials in life create loneliness that can permeate us regardless of how many surround us. Loneliness comes from broken relationships. I know very few people who haven't experienced a broken relationship somewhere in their life. A dating relationship, a friendship, a family feud relationship. And there's a loneliness that happens in that kind of brokenness. There's a loneliness from separation. This perhaps is the most universal cause. Burial customs may vary greatly around the world, but I'm here to tell you the tears are the same no matter where they're grieving, live. Death separates, divorce separates, relocation separates, war separates. According to statistics, 70% of people in convalescent or nursing homes are never visited by anybody. Loneliness. And there's loneliness from opposition. Opposition. Uh, somebody opposes you at job. Uh, some, sometimes you get opposition at home. Sometimes at school, in society, in civic organizations. Sometimes you can even find opposition here in the body of Christ. It's not pleasant when it happens, but it does happen, and it creates that lonely feeling. Now, when we hurt, we can either allow ourselves to, uh, to just spiral out of control, or, or we can take the bull by the horns and say, okay, I'm not going to let that happen to me. I'm going to make the most of this, and I'm going to recover. When a plane goes into a tailspin, the pilot has two or three revolutions of that plane before he has to kick it out of the spin and then pull it out of the dive. If he waits too long, the pressure and the speed make it impossible to pull the plane out, and the plane will crash. The same thing is true of your life. When your life goes into a tailspin, you've got a few revolutions in that spin in order to kick it out of the spin and pull it out of the dive before you crash. If you don't, if you keep fueling it with self-pity, you're going to crash and burn. It is inevitable. Take, Take life by the horns and do what you need to do to overcome the circumstances that are creating such loneliness nobody else can do it for you you have to do it yourself others can help but you have to take the lead i spoke with brenda richards this week um it's been about two and a half years since brenda's husband bob richards passed away and i asked brenda uh, how she was doing how she was getting along and and uh, she wrote me this note the next day And with her permission, I'm going to read a good portion of it to you because I think a lot of you will relate to what she's feeling. And if you've not been down this road, you need to know how people who are going down this road feel and what we can do. These are Brenda's words. After my husband's death, I realized my shared history partner was missing. He was the person who laughed so hard with me about family incidents and rejoiced at family accomplishments with me. No one else had ever experienced those things with me firsthand. Immediately after his death, I was thrust into investment and insurance issues, into estate issues, into fix-it issues. Forty-two years before his death, I'd gone straight from my parents' home to my marital home, and now for the first time in my life, my home had only God and me in it. It's a couple's world. Most things in society are geared to couples. Combo snack deals at the movies. Even numbered seats at restaurants. Tickets for two. Doing the things that we love to do as a couple became very difficult for me to do alone. It was difficult to sign only my name to our children's and grandchildren's Christmas and birthday cards and gifts. I was careful to have just the right number of chairs at holiday dinners. I had to change our voicemail greetings. After his death, I immediately began to fill all my time with activities. If there was any lull in the action, I would start a project of some kind, like cleaning out a closet or stripping wallpaper or painting again. I became somewhat paranoid about not wanting to be a burden to my children, although they'd provided absolutely wonderful support for me at all times. There was a sudden decline of physical closeness and touch that was completely new to me. I no longer sat at a table to eat I did not want to appear needy to friends, did not want to be the extra person in the group. It was painful to drive to and from athletic events alone, even though I knew I'd meet family members when I got there. Even attending church was heartbreaking, so I changed the time of the service when I attended. The first time I visited my out-of-state children and grandchildren without him, it was difficult for every one of us involved. Move forward was one of my husband's favorite phrases, and I came to the realization that he wanted me to move forward and that I could not do so until I remembered to believe in God and to have confidence in myself. And when I was tempted with fear, I learned that I had to take those steps of faith even in the midst of the fear. Jesus is restoring my confidence and giving me the strength, power, and boldness to do what I could never have done on my own power. A great source of comfort to me is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. What a wonderful hope that gives me over and over and over again whenever I turn to it. It's been two and a half years since his death, and I realize now that I cannot always choose what happens to me, but I can choose how I respond to it. I have learned that the day comes for every person when only God remains. Everything else in life eventually passes away. And when it does, God will still be there. You remember that when you feel lonely. Everything else may be passing away, but God is still there. If you have a friend or a family member who's gone through an experience like this, take these notes to heart. Remember, be tender how you approach them and include them appropriately because no one wants to feel alone when you don't want to. Last thing, and very quickly, all of us need to find a sense of contentment. Regardless of your state, being alone or feeling alone, there are some goals in this passage that we ought to adhere to. And they're coming from the very last line that we read out of this text. And I want you to realize this, that you need to rid yourself of unnecessary concerns. If you're a single person, don't be always preoccupied with when is God going to bring somebody into my life? When am I going to get married? And you're so looking down the road that you miss the joy of the moments today. And it's a tragedy to go through years and years and years, always looking ahead and never focusing on now. And can I remind you this? Don't get hasty. Because marriage is not necessarily a cure-all. If you marry the wrong person, it could be worse than being single. The pain and the sorrow and the anguish of marrying somebody that is not compatible with you in your likes and your dislikes and your faith walk can be disastrous. So don't rush into something, all right? And don't always be looking ahead. Live for the moment. Be unlimited in your vision for life. Paul says, I am saying this for your own good not to restrict you, not in any sense. So don't be narrow in your focus. Let God lead you to new horizons. Open up your eyes. Be a person of great vision. Let God lead you as he wants to. And then do what is right. Paul says that you may live in a right way. That doesn't take explanation. It just takes practice. Don't compromise your sexual integrity just because you're single. If you're married, don't compromise your faithfulness to your spouse. Be honest. Love much. Be loyal to Christ and the church. Work hard at your job as if you're working for God because in reality you are. Do what is right and it will bring contentment. And lastly, be sold out to God. Paul says, live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Single or not, give your best to the Lord. Burn out in life. Don't rust out in life. Take a risk for Christ instead of always playing it safe. Put your heart, head, and soul into it. It'd be better to occasionally crash than to never get off the ground in your life. Fly with the eagles. Don't pick and scratch with the chickens. Paul was sold out to God. Lock, stock, and barrel. And in so doing, he found his greatest contentment as a single man with a singular purpose to serve Jesus Christ. I'm here to remind you this morning that whether you're single or married, the greatest advantage to your life is the contentment that only Jesus Christ can bring. So, if you do not know him as your Savior this morning, while we stand and sing, you come to the Christ.